how many of you enjoy watching TV shows that have something climactic happen near the end, and then across the screen you see these words, to be continued. Now, now that we have Netflix, it's less of a big deal because you just can stay up later and watch the next episode because it's there. But growing up, that was the worst. You waited all week to watch Emergency. And at the end of the show, it said, to be continued. So you'd have to wait another whole week to figure out if they could save the person from the collapsed building. You didn't know what was going to happen. I think that as you read through, especially the book of Genesis, there's all these little tiny hints of to-be-continued things. They're in the modern language that we are coming to understand. There's little Easter eggs everywhere where all of a sudden they'll just bring something up because eventually that something is going to show up somewhere else. And so that's kind of what we're seeing today as we begin um, our reading in the middle of Genesis chapter 9. So if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter 9, we're taking a look at this whole idea of beginnings, and we've been studying the story of Noah. That's kind of where we're at in the serial or the series of where we're at. And at the end of the life of Noah, all of a sudden, there's a recapping and a telling of one more story. So in Genesis chapter 9, verse 18, it says this, The sons of Noah went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the son of Canaan. Now that's an Easter egg, okay? Because we're going to get back to Canaan later, okay? But all of a sudden, you didn't notice that they didn't mention everybody's sons, did they? They just said there's three sons, and one of them has a son, and his name is Canaan. And we, as you read on, you're going to find out that he wasn't even the oldest son. He was the youngest son. But he's significant. These three were the sons of Noah. For these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. So we can actually take our genealogy, and either we are of the line of Ham. I'm probably of the line of Ham. Because <laughs> I like bacon. Okay? Or the line of Shem. And he is not one of the, uh, you know, he's, he's not one of the three stoozes. And, or Japheth. But that is the beginning of this next section. And as you read through, especially the book of Genesis, you're going to find all these little Easter eggs. I would like to tell you that we'll completely understand this Easter egg today. We will not. But we will certainly get a beginning look at what he's talking about here. So let's remind ourselves about this Noah, okay? Noah is the exception. Remember that? At the beginning we read in chapter 6, verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord when everybody in the whole universe did not. So there is that sense that Noah was special. In fact, 
we read on in that chapter and we find out that God made him a builder, right? In verse 14 of chapter 6, it said, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. And so we know that for the next 120 years that he was a builder. But like every millennial, he had career changes. We're finding that out. It's, we're we're going to find out that millennials do not stick with the same career their whole life. They're going to have several different careers. You know, some of us don't understand that because we've done kind of the same thing our whole lives. Noah, at age 601, because that would be kind of middle-aged for him, went through a crisis and he took on a new career. And that's what we find in 9 to verse 20. It says here, Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. Now you got to start thinking about where Noah came from in doing this. Noah probably took a little part of a grape tree, or maybe a little seedling with him, on the ark. And when he got done with being on the ark, he looked at his sons and he says, no more boat building for me. I'm going to become a farmer. An organic farmer. We're going to become a farm-to-table family. You know? And when he did this, he grew all different kinds of things, but he planted this orchard. Now, I don't know about you, but it seems like he thought about this a lot. And he thought about what he was going to do a lot. Some of you are a little obsessive compulsive that way, and so you're thinking about what you're going to do. My grandfather, Koenig, he loved rocks. He collected rocks his whole life. Anywhere he went, he liked these rocks. You find them a lot in, the, in our area of the country. They were in North Dakota called Aggies. He loved Aggies. And anywhere he went, even when I was a kid, and Grandpa was in his 70s, We'd be walking down the road, and Grandpa would say, just a second. And he'd reach over, and he'd pick one up. I know his, he had rocks in his pockets his whole life because he just loved rocks. But Grandpa knew that someday he would no longer be able to go out to the shop. And so Grandpa, in 1934, started collecting stamps so he'd have something to do when he couldn't go out to the shop anymore. Okay? And he collected every new stamp that came out from 1934 to 1981 when he died. Every new stamp, he collected those. Because he was a millennial. And he eventually he couldn't do this, so he wanted to make sure he had something to do next. That's what Noah did. I think when he was spending a year in that ark, he was thinking about the fact that there is a lot of manure in this ark, and I can grow a lot of grapes with this manure. He was already thinking about what he wanted to do next. And he became a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. Now, we know that when he planted a vineyard, that there were consequences to him planting a vineyard, which we find in the next verse. He drank of the wine and became drunk and laid uncovered in his tent. Now, I think this is an interesting verse because there are parallels between the story of Noah and the story of Adam. I don't know if you've ever thought about it before. 
At the first story, it says that God created the world out of chaos, and he created this world and called it very good, and he put Adam in this world, and then when Adam got in trouble, what did he realize? He was naked. Now all of a sudden, Noah, this righteous man, this only man that was righteous in the whole world, has an issue, and the issue is that he's naked. And the reason that he's naked is because he overindulged in his new hobby, which was farming. You know, I think that a lot of us are that way, is we get into something and we're like, I'm not going to do that anymore, and then we become overindulged in something new. My wife would tell you that this is true of me. We, we think of this new thing and we get overly involved in it. Some of you maybe even have around your house remnants of things you were overindulged in at one time. You know, I'm going to try camping. So you had to buy all the camping gear in the whole world, right? You know, and then, then you started reading about camping. And so then you had to upgrade all the camping material to better camping stuff. And no longer would you go to Walmart to buy anything. Pfft, mere mortals do that. I must go to EMS. Oh, wait. I must go online to a store that nobody's ever heard of that has initials that nobody understands. And I'm going to buy all my stuff from them because, you know, but you can do that with everything. You can do that with musical instruments. You can do that with computers. You can do it with clothing. You can do it with food, can't you, Jonathan? All of a sudden it's like, I think I can raise and elevate a hamburger far above anything McDonald's would ever do. And I can charge you 60 bucks for it. <laughs> and it's still the same thing. It's still a hamburger, but it's elevated. You know, that's what we, and that's what we see here is that, that Noah got into what he's doing and then he got really into what he's doing and all of a sudden he finds himself in a bad spot. Now, I'm going to stop for just a second here and say something. Some people will take this verse and say, see, this is why you're not supposed to drink ever. No, that's not what this verse says. This verse says he drank too much. A lot of really good things, grapes aren't bad things. We shouldn't all of a sudden say, well, in light of that, we should never have a grape tree again. That's how we're going to solve this problem. Does this sound like our world? You know? You know, marriage doesn't work out well sometimes, so we're just going to outlaw marriage. You know, sometimes men's don't behave right. Well, there should be no more men in the world. Does it sound like us? We kind of live at these extremes. But the thing that I want you to see here is Noah was God's specially picked man, and he's not a perfect man. He, he got too involved in something and got himself into trouble. Well, he's not the only one that got in trouble. Because usually when you get in trouble, somebody notices that you get in trouble. And Ham, the father of Canaan, Easter egg, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. You see, Ham's reaction to nakedness was what? To make fun of it. 
do we live in a world that kind of enjoys exposing people's faults? Last night, I, I, I was on YouTube watching woodworking videos because that's kind of my thing. Then I'm elevating to the next level. <laughs> and, and the list was the word fail. And I had a picture kind of of a person that was kind of upside down. And I looked at it and it says, greatest sports fails of all time. So I clicked on it. And there are people that made a mistake playing soccer, skiing down a hill, playing football, playing basketball, playing baseball. And the thing that we know about them is that they failed. And over 2.5 million people have watched this video of people failing. I think that if Ham lived in our era, he would have Instagrammed it or Snapchatted it to his brothers and went, look at that. You know? Because his reaction to the failure of his father is to make fun of it. That was his reaction. That's what he did. We live in a world that does that. We live in a world that they love to celebrate somebody else's sinfulness, somebody else's failure. And their reaction isn't to speak well of them or protect them. The reaction is to make fun of them, to turn them into a meme, to, to make it the story of, you're not going to believe what I saw yesterday. And that was the heart of Ham. There's only six people in the world today at this point. Probably, they probably all had kids by now. Well, obviously, because Canaan's listed. There's probably just a couple hundred people around. But because of Ham, everybody knew about Noah's shame. How hard do, do we work at hiding our shame? Of hiding our things that we don't want exposed? Of, of, of doing that? There, there's whole industries based on this. Do you realize that? Of being able to scrub your profile clean of being able to clean up whatever the web said about you or whatever got posted there. We live in a world that is filled with this. And it makes us afraid, doesn't it? Do you ever get afraid that somebody might remember something you did? Think about what Judge Kavanaugh went through. I remember something you did when you were a teenager. Oh my goodness. That scares me to death. I don't want you to see memes of my teenage years. Just my haircuts would freak me out. <laughs> now that was in the era of disco, remember that? Where we had the feathered hair. We wanted to look good, you know. We wore polyester suits with shirts that were open to show the three 
hairs we had on our chest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The cool people did. <laughs> but Ham's reaction was malice. I love this next verse. Shem and Japheth responded with mercy. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both of their shoulders and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their fathers. Their faces did not turn backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. You see, they decided to respond with mercy and with love. They weren't looking for the next opportunity to be sarcastic, the next interesting thing to post. They weren't trying to put together a compilation video. Noah fails, you know. They weren't trying to do that. They loved their father and they positioned themselves. You know, I think they had to think this through. How are we going to do this? How are we going to honor? How are we going to protect? You don't just think this through, you know? You don't just say, hey, I think, you know, they had to think this through. Honoring and protecting people takes incredible thoughtfulness. It, it takes training. It takes a different approach to life. But how many of you in this room have ever experienced the joy of somebody covering you with the blanket. You know what I mean? Instead of the fear of exposure, you experienced the peace of protection. You know, I think we have to ask this question. How do you respond when exposed to other people's sin. You know, I, I asked myself this question over the last couple of days, and there are certain times that I got to be honest and tell you that I give myself permission to have malice. They should know better. I can't believe they did that. Blah, 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 and on it goes. And sometimes I grab someone else, just like Ham did, and I grab someone else and want to tell this juicy thing. You know, Proverbs calls gossip, because that's what this is, a morsel, and it says that it goes down and it destroys your own soul. But we live in a world where we're trained in malice, aren't we? We're, we're trained in that. How, how do we handle when we're exposed to sin? You know, several years ago, we went through a, a situation here at the church, and we talked about this very passage. And I cannot tell you how honored I was that you as a congregation, instead of being like a Pharisee ready to throw a stone at somebody, you decided to offer them a blanket. Do uh, you know what was more amazing than anything? 
is that so many of you took this so seriously that I was in the community over, and even to this day I'm in the community, and because you covered that situation with a blanket so very well, there are people in the community that have no clue of what happened. Because although we had to speak of the sin here, the blanket covered it from ever going out of this room. Hallelujah! That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be this people of mercy, and yet I I look on Facebook and I, I look at my friends, sometimes in this church, oftentimes outside this church, and I don't see that we are believers carrying blankets around. I see we're believers taking pot shots just like everybody else. God is calling us in the midst of sometimes people's terrible choices, their sinfulness, to be people that have a blanket ready instead of a rock. Galatians puts it with this way. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transition, tra- transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too are tempted. You know, when we were singing that song, Lord, I need you. You know, the whole point of that song is, I am sinful, and I only stand at peace because of the righteousness of Christ that lives in me. I, I, I only stand holy, not because I am personally holy, but because God is holy. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross for me, I got his holiness in exchange for my sinfulness. And so, because the Word of God says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we should approach each other as sinners that all need another blankie. (laughs) All need a little bit more comfort. In our house, the blankie is this thing filled with rice or some kind of rye or something. And in two minutes during the winter, it becomes warm and it becomes your friend in the coldness and exposed tundra that we live in. The story is an interesting story because it talks about the contrast of how we're supposed to live. Our flesh wants to be people of malice. The world loves malice. But the spirit that lives inside of us is a spirit of mercy that tells us that because we've received mercy, we should give him mercy. First John makes it really clear. It says, if you don't love your brother, what does it say? You don't love your Lord. The two are tied together. So, after Noah went through his hangover, Noah woke 
from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. Now, <coughs> you're going, wait a minute here. Shouldn't it be cursed be Ham? You know? Why does it say cursed be Canaan? And I had to look this up and I had to take a look at it. And there's a lot of different theories, many I'm just not going to get into. And then I was listening to one guy and it just made logical sense. You know, when Noah woke up, Canaan was in the room. And his dad, Ham, had probably told him about what had happened. And so his grandpa was waking up, there's this young man named Canaan, and he has this goofy look on his face. Why does he have a goofy look on his face? Because he's heard the message of malice. And he swallowed that morsel. And his grandfather warned him strongly and said, you're following the path of your father. Your father was a man of malice, and I see malice in your eyes. I, I see that look in your eyes. You know what I'm talking about. If you're a parent, you know about the look, don't you? When you're trying to explain something to your kids, and your kids are doing the, whatever, <laughs> you know that look? Yeah, you know that look. Or when you're at work and you're trying to be really sincere and the person's going, whatever, you know that look, right? That's why Canaan is told this. Because Canaan was buying into the malice of his grandpa, of his father. And maybe even teasing grandpa a little bit. Hey, grandpa, <laughs> feeling okay? You know, how'd you sleep? Hey, isn't isn't that um, somebody? Else? I've never seen that blanket in this room before. You know, there are consequences to a spirit of malice. That's what this is saying. You know, it, it is just because someone sins doesn't mean we should compound sin on top of it. Does that make sense? There are consequences to malice. And just in the same way, and see, this is one of those parallels again, very fascinating. What happened after they sinned in Genesis 1 and 2 and 3? Oh, there were curses, right? And so you see that same pattern Verse 26 says this. He said also, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? He didn't just bless Shem because he knew something spiritual had taken place. Something spiritual had taken place that he was taking care of. And he said, Blessed be the God of Shem. Let Canaan be his servant. Here's the bottom line. People who are driven by malice always are a slave to someone. Have you ever noticed that? The Word of God calls it the, the sowing and reaping concept. If you sow malice, you reap malice. 
And so you become the servant to someone else, and that's what he's saying here. Canaan is going to be the servant to the one who doesn't live in malice. The one who's free is going to be the Lord over the one who is a slave to sin. Does that make sense? May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. Here's another thing that's interesting. He isn't just blessing his other son with the blessing of being taken care of. He's blessing him with friendship. You see that? He says he's going to be in he's going to be in the same place. He's going to dwell in the there's going to be a relationship that they have. That's what takes place in the body of Christ. That is what's supposed to take place in the body of Christ. We're supposed to have Shem and Japheth relationships in the body of Christ. That as we become these people that come together and become the blanket holders and we learn how to walk backwards better, we learn the biblical moonwalk, you know? As we learn to walk better We have a joy in doing it together. (coughs) Because the person that's given to malice realizes something. Because not only are they cynical about other people and the way they act, they realize that maybe everybody feels that way about them too. That they are the source of somebody else's cynicism. And instead of being caught up in relationships, they find themselves in incredible loneliness. Why? Because they assume that everybody else thinks as rotten as they do. But for the blanket carriers who see life differently, we view other people differently and are allowed to be in relationship with a whole bunch of other sinners Have you ever been in a room where somebody confesses a little bit of sin and everybody else is going, it's okay, and offers them that blanket of comfort immediately? And instead of feeling the shame that they felt all of their life, all of a sudden there's peace in the midst of what should be a horrible situation. That's what can happen in the body of Christ. And that was Noah's experience because he was a farmer for 350 years. He was only a carpenter for 120. He's only a boat captain for one. So, a couple last questions. First of all, every generation was and is sinful. That's just the reality. We naturally are given to malice. That's who we are. Every generation. But we are often surprised by sinfulness. Have you ever ever noticed this? Can you believe how they act? Well, yeah, they're sinful. I shouldn't be surprised. Right? Second observation. God offers redemption to every sinful generation. In fact, let's make this more specific. God offers redemption to every person of every generation. Some of you might be living in a world of shame or fear or something, 
and you cannot imagine that God would forgive you because you can't forgive yourself. But Jesus Christ died on the cross for all the things that bring you shame so that you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And please do not buy into the lie that the cross is not available to you and it's exclusive to the less sinful people. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Maybe you need that gift today. Maybe you just need to pray this simple prayer saying, Dear God, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid and I'm ashamed and I, I'm a sinner and I do things wrong and I need you to be my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I accept you as my Lord. Amen. You pray a simple prayer like that, you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Even the righteous sin, okay? Noah was considered righteous by God, but he was a sinner. I don't think we should be surprised that we still sin. We should ask God to help us sin less. But I don't think we'll ever be completely pure. There is a teaching that says that, and I, I don't agree with it. I've met a lot of sinners that are 90 years old that need grace just as much as I do. Last thing, sin creates choices. And one of the relational choices it creates is malice or mercy. Who in your life are you giving malice that needs mercy? And who in your life has made you think that all you deserve is malice instead of mercy? Let's pray. Dear God, make us people that learn walk, to walk backwards in mercy to cover each other's sin. God, remove from our spirits the malice, the judgment, the sarcasm. And give us tender hearts toward the sinfulness that we see in each other. And Jesus, thank you for giving us the greatest blanket of all and dying on the cross. But it wasn't a blanket, it was a washcloth. And you didn't cover our sin, Jesus. You washed it away. And for that, we are grateful. Thank you for being our God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand and, and let's make a pledge to one another that we are going to be the blanket carriers, okay? There are so many people around you and I that need mercy. Let us be people of mercy. God bless you. Have a great week.